Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Integrating Non-Steroidal Mineralocorticoid Receptor Antagonists in Patients with CKD and T2D, Novel Strategies to Minimize Progression in Patients with Advanced Disease. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Bayer AG. This patient is James. He's a 65-year-old man with a 12-year history of type 2 diabetes, hyperlipidemia, and hypertension. Recent laboratory testing showed that his EGFR is around 50, and he was also recently found to have an elevated urine albumin to creatinine ratio, or UACR. He's being seen today for a discussion regarding these results and to plan the management of his kidney disease. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Jennifer Green. I'm an endocrinologist at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. And today, I'll discuss the need for novel therapies for patients with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes. First, I'd like to review the current Cadigo nomenclature that we use to describe chronic kidney disease. This heat map shows the various EGFR and albuminuria categories, which range from normal to moderately increased and severely increased. Each case of chronic kidney disease can be categorized within the heat map. As the colors become more orange or red, the risk of progressive kidney disease and cardiovascular complications increases. The map also includes recommendations for when treatment or referral to a nephrologist is indicated. The pathophysiology of CKD in patients with type 2 diabetes is quite complex. One of the three main components appears to be abnormalities in renal hemodynamics. The agents that we think favorably affect intraglomerular hemodynamics and blood pressure include the ACE inhibitors, ARBs, SGLT2 inhibitors, and the new drug class of non-steroidal mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists, or MRAs. In addition, there's a very strong metabolic component associated with poor glycemic control. The drugs that specifically address this component include SGLT2 inhibitors, GLP-1 receptor agonists, and other antihyperglycemic agents. The third component is inflammation and fibrosis, which is often an underappreciated contributor to the development and progression of chronic kidney disease. The interventions that may specifically help reduce levels of inflammation and, in turn, reduce the risk of renal fibrosis include SGLT2 inhibitors, GLP-1 receptor agonists, RAS inhibitors, and the new non-steroidal MRA that I had mentioned earlier. Because the pathophysiology is so complex, it is important that we target these three components with different interventions that significantly affect these different disease processes. If we treat only one aspect, there will still be considerable residual risk of both progressive kidney disease and cardiovascular complications. So we need to think more broadly in designing a regimen to treat chronic kidney disease. Compared to steroidal MRAs, such as spironolactone or aplerinone, non-steroidal MRAs are more specific in blocking the MR activation and hyperkalemia is observed to a lesser extent with those agents. The first non-steroidal MRA, venerinone, is now available in the U.S., Europe, Japan, China, and some other countries. 
The other available drug, esoxerinone, is approved specifically for hypertension management and is available in Japan only. In the next session, let's discuss the key efficacy data on novel non-steroidal MRAs for the treatment of patients with advanced chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes. The majority of the information that we have on the effects of novel non-steroidal MRAs for the treatment of chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes comes from the finerenone renal and cardiovascular outcomes trials, which have been studied in a pooled analysis referred to as fidelity. These trials enrolled patients with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes who totaled more than 13,000 individuals altogether. In this pooled analysis, finerenone showed a very significant reduction in the risk of a composite kidney outcome comprised of kidney failure, a 57% or more decrease in EGFR from baseline, and renal death compared with placebo. This study also assessed the effect of finerenone on cardiovascular outcomes. In patients with type 2 diabetes and CKD, finerenone was also found to significantly reduce the risk of a composite cardiovascular outcome comprised of cardiovascular death, non-fatal MI, non-fatal stroke, and hospitalization for heart failure compared with placebo. And hospitalization for heart failure was significantly reduced in and of itself. We have data from exocerinone trials in patients with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes as well. These are the results of a dose escalation study conducted in Japan in two different trials. And when this agent was studied as either monotherapy or add-on therapy, the reduction in systolic blood pressure was around 18 points compared with a reduction of 8 points in diastolic blood pressure. The effect of esoxerinone on albuminuria was also studied. And in this somewhat larger trial called ESAX-DN in patients with type 2 diabetes and a urine albumin to creatinine ratio of 45 to less than 300 milligrams per gram, the novel non-steroidal MRA significantly reduced albuminuria in these patients compared with placebo over about a year of treatment. In the next session, let's discuss the safety profiles of novel non-steroidal MRAs used for the treatment of CKD in patients with type 2 diabetes and how to manage common treatment-related adverse events. Let's look at the safety profile of finerenone in trials of patients with CKD and type 2 diabetes. Infidelity, the most commonly reported side effects that differed in the finerenone-treated group were serious hyperkalemia and hospitalization due to serious hyperkalemia, but no fatal hyperkalemia was reported. Hyperkalemia is a known side effect of the oral MRAs. The rate is expected to be a bit higher with finerenone compared with placebo, but fortunately, it's rarely serious and was never fatal in any of the trials. Similarly, in trials of esoxerinone compared with placebo, the rates of treatment-emergent adverse events described as blood potassium increase, serum potassium levels between 5.5 and 6.0 on two consecutive measurements, or discontinuation due to an increase in serum potassium were greater with the MRA than with placebo. In addition, the risk of an increased serum potassium with the active drug was higher in patients who had a baseline serum potassium of 4.5 milliequivalents per liter or higher 
or in patients with an EGFR of less than 60. So let's talk about clinical management strategies in the treatment of hyperkalemia. In patients with chronic kidney disease, it's often important to counsel about dietary potassium intake to appropriately manage RAS inhibitor therapy, to increase diuretic therapy, to potentially add sodium bicarbonate if needed, and also, in some cases, to consider potassium binders. So we do have a variety of options for management of hyperkalemia should it occur. It's also noteworthy that observational data suggests that the hyperkalemia risk may be moderated by concomitant use of the MRAs with SGLT2 inhibitors. Interestingly, from Fidelio DKD, a trial of benirinone versus placebo in patients with type 2 diabetes and chronic kidney disease, the rates of hyperkalemia in patients taking finerenone with an SGLT2 inhibitor at baseline were significantly lower than in patients taking finerenone without an SGLT2 inhibitor at baseline. In the next session, let's discuss how to select patients who might benefit from treatment with novel, non-steroidal MRAs based on the latest available evidence. The Fidelity trial assessed the effects of finerenone versus placebo in a large population of individuals with type 2 diabetes and chronic kidney disease. The very broad spectrum of participants with chronic kidney disease is represented in the various EGFR and albuminuria categories on the Cadigo heat map. It's important to understand the patient selection criteria for non-steroidal MRAs based on the FDA and ADA recommendations for use of these agents. The FDA approval and indications are quite broad, and finerenone has been approved in the U.S. for adults with CKD associated with type 2 diabetes to reduce the risk of sustained EGFR decline, end-stage renal disease, cardiovascular death, non-fatal MI, and hospitalization for heart failure. The ADA gives more specific recommendations. In individuals with type 2 diabetes, finerenone is recommended in patients with chronic kidney disease who are at increased risk of cardiovascular events or CKD progression, which, if you remember from the Cadigo heat map, applies to a very large percentage of people with CKD or in patients who are unable to use SGLT2 inhibitors. There is, of course, an even more recent consensus statement from the ADA and Cadigo. That joint recommendation says that a non-steroidal MRA with proven kidney and cardiovascular benefit is recommended for patients with type 2 diabetes who have an EGFR of at least 25, a normal serum potassium concentration, and albuminuria, which refers to an albumin to creatinine ratio of at least 30 milligrams per gram, despite use of the maximum tolerated dose of RAS inhibitor therapy. So these various guidelines really help to flesh out the type of person for whom non-steroidal MRAs are indicated to improve long-term outcomes. There are a few contraindications to using the non-steroidal MRA finerenone. These include using finerenone with strong cytochrome P3A4 inhibitors or in patients with adrenal insufficiency. It's also recommended not to initiate finerenone if a patient has a serum potassium concentration of greater than five milliequivalents per liter. In the next session, let's discuss other practical considerations 
to optimally incorporate novel non-steroidal MRAs into your practice. These are the dosing recommendations for finerenone use. It's important to measure serum potassium and EGFR before the drug is started. And it's recommended that you do not start the drug if serum potassium, when checked, is greater than 5 milliequivalents per liter. The recommended starting dose is adjusted based on EGFR, and the starting dose is 20 milligrams once a day in people with an EGFR of 60 or higher, but is reduced to 10 milligrams once a day for those with an EGFR between 25 and 60. The drug is not currently recommended for use in people with an EGFR of less than 25. These are the recommendations for serum potassium monitoring with finerenone. Four weeks after finerenone is started, it's recommended that you measure patient's serum potassium and adjust the medication dose, if needed, based on the serum potassium level. Let's think about a case where you may want to consider use of a novel non-steroidal MRA in a patient with advanced CKD and type 2 diabetes. This is a case of someone with a BMI of 29.5, blood pressure of 145 over 96, and hemoglobin A1C of 8.2%, EGFR of 30, and urine-albumin to creatinine ratio of 900 milligrams per gram, who is currently treated with losartan and citagliptin. So when do you introduce an SGLT2 inhibitor and or a non-steroidal MRA in this patient? Frankly, this is a person with advanced kidney disease and a significant degree of albuminuria, and this is a person who has indications, in fact, for both classes of drug. Now, when you introduce these medications, there may or may not be an opportunity to reduce the number of other medications that are taken for blood pressure or glucose management. It's not clear from this particular scenario, though, that this will be possible. And the glucose-lowering effects of SGLT2 inhibitors are blunted a bit as EGFR falls into this lower range. But an SGLT2 inhibitor or a non-steroidal MRA would both, in fact, be very reasonable classes to introduce in a patient like this. I hope these have been helpful tips on how to use finerenone safely in the management of your patients with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes. The case that was presented represented a fairly extreme example of chronic kidney disease, and we do need to think about treatment earlier whenever possible. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.